you are listening to season 2 of the Humans of AI Stories Not Stats podcast where Devi Parekh and Dhruv Batra talk to AI researchers to try and understand who they are as people what their life is like what they think about what they're insecure about what they get excited about questions that reveal the stories of their day-to-day lives in this episode Dhruv talks with Kengen Cho who's an associate professor in computer science and data science at New York University Kengen talks about how he prefers to go with the flow when planning his day, his strength being his ability to not cling on to successes, how he strives to show compassion for the disadvantaged, and a lot more. For more information on the podcast and episodes, check out the Humans of AI website linked in the description. And without any further ado, let's get right to the conversation. Hey, Kengen. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, can you hear me all right? Are you... Yes. Perfect. Awesome, awesome. How how are you doing? How are things? Well, I mean, I'm getting increasingly more bored, but you know, I'm hanging here, hanging here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> are you in California or in Atlanta now? I'm still in California. I'm in La Park. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, my my class was fully remote, so it didn't make sense. To right. Me. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So well, thanks for the invitation. You know, the uh, very exciting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Kenyon, thank you for doing this. Uh, this is uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so let me let me tell you what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. Welcome to Humans of AI. Um, I, this is being recorded. Um, I have a sequence of questions. Uh, some are light mm-hmm. and may not require much thought. Um, others may require a bit more consideration. In which case, feel free to pause and take your time. Uh, we can also skip questions. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have to go over all of them. Uh, but when in doubt, if you can err on the side of being open, vulnerable, transparent, uh, we okay. would appreciate it. Um, all right. Sounds I'm, good. I've read some of your blog posts, so I, I don't think uh, you will require much nudging. I think I think you're already a pretty <laughs> uh, transparent person. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> okay. So let's get started. Uh, okay. What were you doing right before this call? Oh, I was writing an email, which is probably like what everyone was doing. But in particular, I was actually writing some emails to people that I want to talk to for the first time. So it was pretty fun. You know, like it's always an interesting thing to start a new collaboration. And then in particular, I'm trying to work on some new ideas that I haven't really worked on myself. So I'm just kind of, let's say, sending out cold emails to some of the people that I have vaguely, you know, like heard of or, you know, I met perhaps once or twice. So, you know, usually as professors, we write emails, you know, really, really quickly, often short, and then, you know, without too much of those, you know, how's the weather today there or whatnot and whatnot. But this time, you know, I was actually writing a couple of emails that are very, very carefully written compared to, you know, what I've been doing. You know, I was capitalizing all the correct words to capitalize and so on this time. So that's what I was doing, in fact. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I can imagine that uh, students might relate to this, particularly given that this is, you know, admission cycle. And so cold right. emails and reaching out to people you don't know is, is something right. that, that you would mm-hmm. relate to. Um, what, is your, what is your daily routine like? My daily routine is very, very boring. So I wake up around, let's say, eight or nine, depending on your idea, how I feel like in the morning. I grab my coffee. Uh, yeah, that's actually the one thing is that the one of the things that I started to do is to try to make espresso every morning myself. And then that's been going well since the pandemic started. 
So have that coffee and then check some emails. And then, you know, during the day is pretty usual. I often have one-on-one -on -one meetings with my students. That's like 80% of all my meetings. So that one, I, that part I enjoy a lot. And then one thing I noticed during the pandemic is that the we are actually having more talks than usual. I think there is a the tendency that the, everyone is inviting others much more easily. And also mm -hmm. people accept the invitations much more casually just because it's possible, right? Or they're more easy to do so. So there are always some talks that I need to attend or that I want to attend. So that takes up a lot of my time. And then I actually started to have dinner quite early, like the 5, 5.30 PM and I already have my dinner. And because of pandemic, again, I started to cook quite a bit. So I started preparing for my meal, I don't know, like 4.30 or so, while I'm actually having meetings with my students or listening to some of the talks. And after that, this is a weird uh, habit I recently started to have, is to have a, a half an hour to an hour of nap after my dinner, because dinner is so early. And then I wake up again and then, you know, start checking some email or reading some papers or books or just, you know, be surfing around, you know, be goofing around for another couple of the hours before I say that, yeah, okay, I've done my share of my work today. So I'm going to watch something on Netflix or whatnot and then go to bed. Very, very boring, I gotta say, yes. <laughs> No, but uh, uh, interesting that you take a nap after dinner. I, I was almost half expecting you to say nap after lunch, which would really? split your day into half, but interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a weird thing. Uh, I only started to doing so like last summer. So during the pandemic, because yeah, the, my dinner time was increasingly becoming earlier and earlier. Hmm. And then I noticed that the after dinner, you know, the, I tend to eat, you know, pretty heavy dinner. And then there is that, like, I don't know, four to five hours that is before I actually go to bed for and call it a day. What that means is that the, it's actually pretty many hours. So mm -hmm. I decided that, the, mm, okay, I need to take some rest, but then you're taking a nap after dinner turned out to be not too bad at all. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what is the favorite part of your day? My favorite part of the day is definitely uh, having one-on-one -on -one meetings with my PhD students. That's uh, really the fun part. And also the, the nap after dinner, I highly recommend you to try it out. It's not bad at all. <laughs> I, I found, uh, I discovered naps uh, during the day in the pandemic. I found that, you know, uh -huh. like we're, we're at home, I can go take a quick nap, but I, I haven't yes. tried the one after dinner. I, I suspect I will not wake up. <laughs> that, that's what I thought, but somehow it's actually pretty refreshing. And then in the evening, you know, I think they, a lot of us have, difficulty you know, at the getting enough sleep mm -hmm. but then you know, at the in the evening I feel much refreshed so that the, I can I just focus on whatever I want to do even just watching Netflix I can actually focus on watching Netflix for a few hours and then I can actually get better sleep I think that mm -hmm. thanks to this post-dinner nap <laughs> let's call it like that interesting mm -hmm. and what is the least favorite part of your day Oh, the least favorite part of the day. I mean, I, there are so many of them, but of course, you know, the one thing that I really hate is waking up in the morning. I'm like, oh, I just want to get that another, let's say half an hour of sleep. Uh, and then you know, the often, you know, the, the least favorite part of my day is actually right before I go to bed to call it a night or call it a day is because it almost feels, although I, I'm pretty sure I, get a lot of things done each day. And then I almost feel like I'm actually getting things done that I was supposed to get it done every every day. Mm 
but somehow there's always that lingering feeling that yeah I should have done this or the I should have actually done that instead of this and so on and that that just bugs me a lot before I fall asleep yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah I know I know what you mean um <laughs> I, I do know what you mean do, do you set an alarm in the morning uh yeah oh definitely I have about three alarms set and then you know, the, I can only wake up after my fourth alarm that I set after the third alarm goes off. <laughs> so, so that answers my next question, which is, do you snooze your alarm? So it does sound like there's planned snoozing going on. Oh, yes, yes. Plenty of snoozing. I mean, even for the post-dinner nap, uh, I set the alarm for often like 45 minutes or an hour. But then you know, the, I always wake up after about an hour and a half because I have I just have to snooze it once. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, are you a planner or do you operate more on gut feeling and you prefer to go with the flow? Uh, totally gut feeling. I don't really plan. Uh, I don't actually keep even the to-do list. I tend to, you know, trust my instinct and the memory, which, you know, it does fail me once in a while. But the, one of the reasons why I don't plan out is that I just find it really difficult to uh, motivate myself when my to-do list or the, I have a list of the things that I know I have to do that I don't enjoy. So I tend to just, you know, I did, let them just float around in the background of my head while I'm focusing on all these things that I like. And then whenever I feel like, okay, so this is the time I really have to spend maybe an hour doing all these uninteresting stuff. And then you know, I kind of randomly pick up those things from the background of my mind and then start working on them. Yes. Interesting. That would also explain the going to bed and still ruminating <laughs> through the what else was exactly. <laughs> that oh, that's a good point. I never thought of I, I never made the connection, but it actually does make sense. Yeah, I think that is the reason why you know, I have that least favorite part of my uh, hour of the day right before going to the bed. Yes. Mm. And do you do you struggle with procrastination? Yeah, a lot and a lot. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the things that I do whenever I I have let's say tons of things that I need to do, you know, I did within a week or so, is that the I suddenly go on Amazon or whatever the internet website and then just buy a textbook on a topic that is pretty remotely re relevant to what I need to read. And then just start reading them or the, at least pretending to read them because I never actually get to finish any of those textbooks. So that's one of the ways in which I waste a lot of time. <laughs> and then one, one weird thing I have is that the, it actually happens, especially when I need to do something by some deadline that is approaching and the thing is more interesting. So when I need to actually really finish it off something that is really uninteresting, I tend to actually focus more easily as the deadline approaches. But when it's mm -hmm. the interesting stuff, I don't know why, but somehow my mind starts just you know, wandering around and then start thinking about, maybe I need to learn about the causal inference. And then that's the reason why I bought like three or four textbooks on the topic that all of which I've only read about first two chapters. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But it, but it, it, uh, it. I guess it is a hallmark of an academic that we procrastinate by reading other academic textbooks. <laughs> that, that, that's a good point. I mean, I think that that's actually the one of the reasons why I love being a professor. Is that you know, I think, well, I think that one of the items in our job description is to think about something that you don't have to think about. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
and do you struggle with time management? Uh, not really, in a sense that the, there are sometimes yeah, the you know, occasions where I throw my ball and then you're like, oh my God, you know, the, uh, I should have done it a week or a month ago. I, I have forgotten to do so. But that's pretty uh, rare or you know, very uncommon. And then I, I think that what I know how to do well is that the, I tend to, tend to you know, the, accept the commitment only if I know I can actually make it in time. I tend mm -hmm. to do that. I mean, I did not that I'm perfect. Perfectly, I'm very far from being perfect, but I don't feel like I'm struggling. Hmm. Maybe others might think that yeah, I'm actually struggling, but <laughs> I, I just don't feel like it myself. Yeah, the world has not yet made you aware that you have a problem, so <laughs> so you don't have a problem. <laughs> exactly until I until I know, right? I mean, I don't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you competitive, Kenyan? I'm actually very, very not competitive at all. I really don't think too much about the what others do uh, that are similar to what I do. And then I try to stay ahead of them or anything like that. I don't really worry about it. I do worry a lot about what others might think of me. Uh, so it's not really about the competition against others, but you know, it's like the competition against myself perceived by others. Kind mm. of thing, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, is there a rejection or a failure that hurt particularly bad? Um, at this point, uh, one thing that used to hurt a lot and then I got completely immune to at the moment is the rejection from NSF. Uh, actually, uh, every single proposal that I submitted to NSF, other than some of the couple of those center proposals where I was like, I don't know, one of the 40 PIs or something like that, every single one of them has been rejected. Not a single dollar came to me out of NSF pockets for my research so far. So that one used to hurt, but now I'm like, it's almost automatic. I'm like, okay, I'll write a proposal. It's almost like something that I just need to do, like laundry kind of thing, <laughs> uh, except that I know that it's going to be rejected, but it's okay. Some, you know, just like laundry, I'm going to mess up and then I'll have to throw away some of my shirts or something like that, but it's okay. <laughs> Interesting. That's a, that's a fascinating perspective on it. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. And is there is there an achievement or a success that felt particularly good? Uh, let me see. Um, uh, not really. I tend to cherish every achievement as well as failure I make, and I don't necessarily cling on to any one of them. Although you know, I really loved uh, all the things that have, that have happened that are positive, but nothing not one thing stands out among them. Um, what is one thing that you are worse at than people around you? Oh, uh, so much. In fact, uh, let me see. So one thing, I need to choose one thing. Oh yes, okay. So this is, this is pretty minor. So one, the only, kind of let's say only exercise I used to do is swimming. So I've, I, I'm not a runner. I actually never have joked in my whole life. I'm not a climber. I've never actually climbed any mountain that is that requires you to sweat, essentially. Uh, I don't really play soccer or football or anything like that. Of course, you know, I did when I was in high school and middle school because every friend of mine was playing something. So I was just hanging out with them, but not really. Swimming is the only thing that I've enjoyed. And then you know, the, you know working out once in a while, of course, due to the pandemic, everything is shut down. I haven't gone to the swimming pool for now about a year. Actually, exactly here, I think it's been. 
Um, but the, I, and I, I've actually spent some time learning how to swim and everything, except that the, the kick turn, the turn that you, you need to learn to kind of show off that you know how to swim. That one, I think the, I don't have that kind of balancing bone in my head, you know, like the body or something. I just cannot do that. And then you know, this is always killing me because I've learned how to do butterfly, all those, you know, I did neat things that I can do. I know how to jump in and then you have to sprint and everything, but the turn is just killing me. So that one, I think I might actually be the worst among the people who know or the, who spend money and time to learn swimming. Yeah, definitely. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Well, I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, not the not the worst thing to be to be worse at than other people. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. But yeah, the for me, swimming actually, uh, you know, like the matters, and then you know, the the fact that the well, maybe it's just that the I haven't spent enough time, but I feel like I have. <laughs> but once everything comes back to normal, and then I can go back swimming again, I might actually try to learn this once, you know, this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what would you say is uh, your biggest strength? Uh, my biggest strength, uh, I think, is connected to the your couple of questions earlier about the competitiveness as well as you know the you know like being proud of or the liking one of the successes. Is the I'm not competitive, nor I tend to cling on to any one one or few of the achievements that I have made. I just tend to be very. Uh, you know, stable across time, you know, I, I do get excited a lot about, you know, many of these things, but I don't really get attached to any one or few particular stuff in among the achievements that I've made or even the things that I work on, at, you know, at any moment. Mm -hmm. I think that that might be the strength, you know, not overly excited, not, you know, overly pessimistic or, you know, like being stable. Yeah, makes sense. Um, is there a favorite tool or trick or hack that makes your life more convenient or efficient or fun? Uh, yeah, uh, let me see. So fun. Um, I'm also a very boring person, <laughs> unfortunately. But I think the, what kind of, let's say, keeps me kind of uh, going is actually not being organized that well. I feel like, you know, because I'm not overly excited about anything or I'm not overly competitive against anybody else or the, about anything else. So if I'm even uh, on top of that, if I were very, very organized as well, I might actually end up becoming a very routine person that's going to make me even more boring. So perhaps not organizing my, my time or anything is probably one way for me to you know, stay sane, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. Mm -hmm. How do you usually make difficult decisions? Are there uh, certain lines of thinking or mental frameworks that you use? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, the difficult decisions. This is a weird thing. So I try to simulate or de-emulate all possible scenarios. And then ultimately I often end up with the this kind of weird philosophy that the for any difficult decision I need to make, the first uh, kind of decision uh, option that I, you know, came to my mind is probably the right one to go. So usually I, I think about all possible ways in which yeah, the choice can go, uh, but then you know, I end up actually choosing the one that I thought of first. 
Interesting. And in, in that case, then how do you fight against recency bias, making sure that you're not leaning towards the last thing you became familiarized with? Right. Yeah. So what I realized is that the there is the issue with the recency bias, but then you had the I started to wondering at the because you had the the future is so uncertain, and then that's the reason why the decision these decisions are really difficult to make. And what that means is that the we have to make a decision between the you know bias or variance kind of thing. I decided that the lower variance is better for my mental health, even hmm. if you know the, there is a bit of a bias. Then you know, having a zero bias, but you know have high let's say variance could be hmm. very detrimental for my you know, own sake. So that's the reason why I tend to go for the okay slightly more bias than variance. Interesting. That's a that's a good way of thinking about things and <laughs> using the, the ideas from machine learning. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly, yes. Do you, do you have an internal monologue? Do you talk to yourself? Um, I, I do. I mean, I the, 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 the worst moment of my day, each day, the, that about half an hour every night before I sleep, uh, that's the part that I actually have quite a bit of monologue with myself, kind of, let's say, Essentially, you know, like blaming me myself for whatever I did or the whatever I didn't that day, and then trying to argue for or against the you idea know, why I did it, why I didn't do that. So yeah, that's the perhaps the only time I have that kind of monologue. But otherwise, not really, not really. And and in what language is this monologue? Ah, yeah, that's so. Let me see. So it depends on which language I was using when I was doing or did not doing. So for instance, when it's related to my work or the research or science, uh, it tends to be English. Hmm. But if it's about the idea, oh, I should have called my mom or you know, I should have called my family or friends, then you know, depending on what language they use, but usually you know, my mom is Korean. So you know, I would speak uh, Korean with her. So then in that case, I actually talk to myself in Korean. <laughs> so I think there is context dependent. Context dependent. Interesting. Yeah. And are you a visual thinker? Do you have pictures, moving pictures, symbols in your uh, mind? No, not really. I'm very, let's say, textual. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. And what do you tend to think about when you're not actively trying to think about something? What goes on on the back burner? Oh, yeah. Um... To the extent that you're aware of it. Right. Um, so I actually, I don't know. I feel like, you know, the, so perhaps the reason why I couldn't answer, you know, what are the things that I, what are the successes or the achievement that I am fond of is because when I'm not really thinking about anything in particular, I, my brain just suddenly starts, you know, at the, going over all those, let's say, mistakes or the embarrassing stuff that I've done, like, ever since I was like seven or eight years old. I mean, I think one of the things that uh, my brain just gets to is, when was it like sometime, I, I think I was like six or something like that in the kindergarten. And then there was some kind of event at the kindergarten. And then you know, I did that event was some kind of birthday party of the oldest, you know, the kids in the kindergarten or something like that. And then as part of that event or party, uh, you know, like the, one boy, one girl, they kind of paired up and then you had to do some kind of marching in the, like the building or something like that. And then I was matched to one of the girls in the kindergarten. And then you had to, I wasn't, 
I feel like I wasn't somehow for some random reason wasn't really fond of you know the walking together with her on the hallway or something like that, and you know I did I did not express it like explicitly. I mean I'm not I'm pretty sure I couldn't even do that, but just I I had that I I didn't look happy. I feel like I I <laughs> if I remember correctly, right? And then that one just kills me. And and the fact that you know I did, what did I know? And then why did I you know I did hate this girl so much that I didn't even. Uh, you know, come out happy in that kind of one of the happiest moments in the kindergarten years, and then those things just you know it comes comes to me. I'm like, oh no, stop, stop! I got then you know that's when I you know open up the Netflix and start watching something some random stuff. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Your your replay buffer is filled with like high perceived loss examples. <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. Perhaps a bit too much. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do you how do you recharge or take a break? Um. Yeah. Um. I mean, the, I I play games, so I have PlayStation, so I love playing games. Uh, and also, we, so this is also a bit of a pandemic thing. So many things have changed since the pandemic, and then like all those lockdowns started. Is that the I actually really love watching those you know the video clips of cooking. In particular, like steaks or the barbecues or some exotic, you know, the cooking from the you know different corners of the world, like the how to cook this, you know, the uh, what was it like the lamb, you know, the leg in the uh, some forest in Azerbaijan or something like that, and then you know, the I watch those video clips a lot on YouTube as well as Facebook video. And then you know, the, sometimes I actually tried it out myself. So you know, the one day I was watching how to cook um, lamb. And then I've never actually cooked lamb myself. Just the thing is that, for instance, in Korea, I'm, like, I'm not even sure if you have lamb naturally to start with. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think we have sheep or goat in Korea like, naturally growing. So I never actually tried lamb actually ever when I was in Korea. And then certainly I've never tried cooking it myself. So, you know, the, one day I was just watching one of those videos and then I was like, Oh, I gotta try it out. I just really like literally ran out, grabbed some lamb. I'm not even sure which part of the lamb that was, but I bought something, pour all those spices according to the video clip that I watched and then cooked it. The first time, it was the first time I tried, it was very, very horrible, but it was a pretty refreshing experience that kind of energized me <laughs> a bit. So, Maybe like there's something I recharge by doing something that has nothing to do with what I need to do, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Which makes sense. I'm sure that's a it's <laughs> a good break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Are you happy with the number of close friends that you have? Um uh, yes, yes, in a sense that the I do have a few small number of let's say close friends that I can easily talk to and so on but I'm a bit less happy in that the that group has been evolving quite rapidly in my case because I've been moving around quite a bit and then the I've lost touch with the many of the close friends from all the years and I have now that you mentioned it actually I feel really bad that the, I haven't really checked on any any of them from let's say from my days in Korea or Finland during this pandemic era and you know I think the people tend to crave for the human touch and you know, some kind of contact I 
definitely should actually reach out to some of them. But for the people that I talk to more regularly, uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy. It's not a large, but a small clique of my friends, but they tend to be all pretty generous, very kind. And then, you know, they, they tend to be transparent. I, at least I feel like they're being transparent, which makes it easier for me to be transparent. Although I can, I'm probably transparent even without others being transparent to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Although yeah, I really look forward to hanging out in person much more frequently without having to worry about, uh, you know, COVID-19 and so on. Yeah. What are you insecure about? Oh, I mean, I did so many things actually. So the more recently, one of the things that I'm most insecure about is, it's a weird thing is that the, what, what I'm going to do for the next, I don't know, like four, three or four decades, you know, if we believe that the life expectancy is going to stay at this level, then I probably have, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And I've enjoyed, you know, the doing what I'm doing, you know, the coming up with these ideas, trying to work it out together with my students or my collaborators, report it by writing papers or, you know, the releasing the code. It's been all fun. And then it's been now slightly more than a decade. And then, you know, the, I do see that the, there are those amazing people in our field who have been working on these ideas or the topics for the let's say, I don't know, three or four or even five decades of their lifetime. And they're all amusing, but um, I'm a bit insecure whether, first of all, you know, whether I'll be able to actually keep on doing this for another four decades. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. And also, even if I do, whether I'm going to like it and also after about three decades after look back and like, it was fun, but, you know, what I end up with is all these, you know, the papers that 99% of which, you know, no one, including myself, don't read anymore. So that's the, that's the thing that really makes me a bit insecure about, is this uh, what I want to do for the next three, four decades? Because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I've been working on this for 10 decades, uh, 10 years or so. But then uh, I've been at NYU for now six years. And then before that in Montreal and so on. And then so until now, it's been like, three to five year of the cycle. And then I'll work on something really, really hard and then move on to a new place. And then even if it's related, something new really hard, but it looks like this may be a fork in a road where I need to decide whether, well, that time of my life is done. I'm going to just continue, you know, in one direction, in one place, or, you know, I need to start something, try something new. And then I'm very, very insecure about making this decision. And also if, if, if I do so, then you know, I do, what is, what are the alternatives there? Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, this is not one of those things I can totally relate. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm actually glad that I'm not the only one who's insecure about this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it's also that, yeah, you, you know, you early on in your career, you can have shorter cycles and you can afford yeah. to have in shorter cycles uh, misses and you can move around. And at some point yeah. of time, I guess there's that there's that line in Moneyball, right? Like we're all told we, we can't play the little league anymore. So you <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, yes. Okay. Uh, do you feel like an imposter in any context? Oh yeah, oh, big time, big time. Um, 
And then I think it's because, you know, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm not competitive against others, but I'm very competitive against myself, how, how myself is, how I'm perceived by others. And then every time I think about it, I, I, I run a lot of the kind of, let's say, uh, counterfactual, uh, the, let's say, uh, you know, like the reasoning or the simulation of myself at various points in my earlier, let's say, years. And then at the, every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm at the, every moment, I'm like, how lucky I was in, you know, making, often you know, at the forced some choice that turned out to be really, really nice uh, now looking back. And then you know, at the, I always do that counterfactual and then say that the, now, had I not been, let's say, push it toward that direction or had I not been in a situation by random chance, because for instance, I was born as a male in a mid-class Korean family with my father being a professor in the university and you know, raised in Seoul and everything. You know, that's a huge amount of kind of, let's say, luck that came with me that I did not choose nor had to fight for, right? And then you had the realizing that the in a counterfactual world where I was not in that kind of situation for all possible aspects that I imagine, I feel like I probably wouldn't have made it up to this point. And uh, you know, all the other scenarios that I run kind of let's say, end up being pretty, pretty bad or the idea is suboptimal in many uh, regards. And then that actually makes me feel really insecure and feel like an imposter when I talk to other people who weren't necessarily in a similar kind of situation as uh, I was in and still they are doing so well and then you're know, almost always better than how I'm doing and I'm like oh my god I'm right there how did I actually end up here and then you know, the, what am I supposed to and then that's probably related to you know uh, the being insecure about the next three or four decades I mean the real this luck that I had in my I don't know first 15 to 20 years of my life continue to keep me going for the next, I don't know, three decades. Uh, I'm not sure, right? Yeah, so I, yeah, I do feel like an imposter quite a lot. And then, you know, it's pretty stable. So nothing you know, the dramatic because I feel like that every moment. So it's not like you know, the, I feel, oh, suddenly I really feel bad like tonight or today or yesterday, but it's generally so, yes. Mm. Do you think you're average, below average or above average happy compared to the people around you? Uh, I think I'm happier than on average or the United you know, most of, uh, let's say majority, let's say half of the people I know, let's put it like that. Yeah, I, why am I happy? Hmm. I think that's because I'm not organized. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can afford to be happy even in a, even when uh, I'm probably not in a situation to be happy because I, it's really difficult for me to realize that uh, I'm in a pretty deep, you know, at the hole that I won't be able to get out that easily because I'm not well organized. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. What is uh, something surprising about you? Something that the rest of us may not guess? Oh, uh, I guess being transparent makes it a bit difficult for people to be surprised. True, but true. Me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh let me see um yeah not not really nothing that people would find surprising oh i mean at the one 
possible thing that people might find surprising is that the I'm actually a great I I, I can cook steak like amazingly well. Yep. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I can really cook it well. Uh, and the, and then everyone that I have invited over and then cooked steak in during the past one year, every, like every single one of them praised my steak. So that one, I think that that could be a bit surprising. Yes. Um, yeah. And also, I guess the another surprising thing is that yeah, I actually own a printer plus scanner. So a lot of people actually just come stop by at my place to use the scanner. <laughs> and in particular, it's gotten worse or better since the university uh, started to restrict the people coming into the offices and so on. So yeah, I mean, that could be one thing that is surprising and also very useful information for people who live in New York City. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I, mm. I did not realize the value of printers still. Yeah, precisely yes um and what is one thing about the world that surprises you oh yeah i mean the the word that i i find it really surprising how people are very i don't know like not compassionate about other people in a sense that the i don't know sometimes let's say there are there are some situations where some people were taken advantage of by other people and they had the you know once in a while what i see is that the you know the larger portion than i expected of the population actually do tend to stand by next to a someone who took advantage of the other and then who often have a bigger power or better off and in my opinion whenever there is some kind of conflict happens between two groups of people or two people in particular and then when the details are murky or you know, the, there could be some debatable points about this conflict, I feel like the default stance that we should take or at least I strive to take is to stand next to the people who are you know, like underrepresented or you know, the generally socially disadvantaged. And, but what I always find very surprising and a bit sad as well is that the, it turned out that this is not necessarily held by majority of people. In fact, the majority of people that I see probably, hopefully it is because the news articles tends to make things, uh, emphasize things that are worse about the world. Majority of people tend to actually stand by next to rich people, you know, like the better off people and the better represented people. So that's the thing that surprises me and also makes me sad about the world. What do you, yeah, it is, it is unfortunate. Um, what is something that you've changed your mind about recently or in distant past? Oh, yeah, I mean, I did change it my mind about. Um, well, let's see. I, I, I don't, uh, so I, it, I, Apparently, like, well, now that I think about it, since you asked, you know, I'm, I guess I'm pretty stubborn in some sense. Although, you know, I did the one thing that we just talked about that about the being compassionate about the, you know, the people who are not in the position of power or something like that. Until, you know, I, I never really thought about that until about, I don't know, five, six years ago. And then I guess, you know, the, what I realized is 
I guess once I left Korea, because in Korea, I was in a pretty good, you know, like the situation, you know, as I said, I was born to a professor, father, my mother used to be a high school uh, teacher, and, you know, my family is pretty well off, I mean, especially now they are pretty well off, I was raised in Seoul, which is the capital of Korea, so, and then, you know, I was educated pretty well. I went to my, I did my undergrad in KAIST, which is one of the best universities in Korea. In fact, you know, some might say that they're one of the best universities in East Asia or in general. Uh, so I never actually had a chance to, you know, I did look at the, the, all these different corners of the society and so on. So, you know, I did, whenever people talk to me about, you know, what I just said about, you know, I did how, you know, the society is not really being on the side of the people we should protect and so on. I never really, I've, I never gave much thought about that before, but you know, I did, once I started to leave the, the kind of comfort zone I was in and then you know, I started looking around and in particular over the past five years or so, I think that I've started to see more and more about all those corners of the society, which actually has helped me change the mode of operation. And also it connects to the fact that yeah, I'm now tenured a bit more secure in terms of jobs and so on is that the, you know, before when I'm invited to give a talk or join some kind of panel or some kind of events out, you know, it was automatically yes. And then yeah, I love to be there. You know, I'm excited to be there. But these days I'm doing less of that. And then you know, whenever there, I can think of other people who can benefit better from uh, joining those uh, forums or the panels or something like that, I always kind of say started to forward all those requests rather than to accept them more. So. Well, that said, I should have actually afforded your invitation to those people as well. But my guess is that you've been actually contacting a you know, broad set of people anyway. So, and then it sounded so fun to be on this. Uh, but yeah, so nothing that dramatically changed it in a sense that yeah, I flipped my stance from one to not the other, but I started to have form more opinions that I never even thought were the opinions that I would, would have formed mm. back then. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you, you're right. We're certainly trying. We're we're trying to reach. Yeah, out yeah, to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is there a bad habit you're working on overcoming? Oh, wait. oh bad habit. <laughs> oh, I mean, like the a lot of bad habits. I mean, like the some bad habits. I mean, like the I overcome. Like for instance, I like until you know a couple of years ago or so. Uh, actually, a bit more than that. I I used to be like heavy smoker. I kind of completely quit. I don't smoke at all. I mean, I don't even. I haven't even thought about it. it. Was actually I should have used that as the answer to the past one. I I really flipped overnight essentially almost. Interesting. So that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's I guess the one bad habit I have already overcome, but. Of course, there are many other bad habits. So for instance, um, well, bad habits. Yeah, uh, bad habits as in like, oh my God, I slack too much when I need to take a rest. And then like, I watch Netflix too much. I watch all those cooking video clips way too much. Yeah, there's a bit ridiculous amount of cooking clips that I watch these days. Uh, so I probably need to learn to kind of stop watching those things when I feel like I started to repeatedly watching the same thing over and over. Um, and then otherwise, I don't really have much of the habits to start with, I guess, well, drinking, but you know, I think I don't drink that much. <laughs> Perhaps a bit more than average, but not <laughs> like the top K or something like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, not, you, not, yeah. how, do you, how do you imagine your retirement? 
those four decades out oh yeah um um yeah i i haven't thought about it that much because i guess i don't have much of the hobbies or habits or the anything besides you know my daily routines but what i want is that the uh, i want to retire or the by the time i retire i hope to have actually contributed to the you know like the uh, society or humanity or whatnot that i feel like i've actually done something like the like there's something that is tangible, more tangible than you know, the, how, you know, we scientists, you know, we tend to contribute a lot to society. Some of them, you know, they become tangible over time. Some of them are tangible from the beginning, but often, you know, they, we let the society to follow up and make things tangible eventually, because our job is to try to, you know, look at the frontier and then trying to see what are the directions that, that we feel like the science and the society need to pursue. But I feel like I want one thing that I want to be want to have achieved by the time of my retirement is to, in fact, uh, be also uh, create something tangible myself as well. Not sure exactly what that's going to be, but I feel like if I hadn't done that by that time, then I'll be like so sad, and I'll probably have a retirement of my job and my life all together because I'll be sitting on my office because oh I haven't done anything uh, built anything tangible I need to work on it and then done <laughs> I given the way you're going Kyungyun I seriously yeah. doubt that you're going to be looking back <laughs> four decades from now with that sort of concern I, I hope so I might be actually listening to this four decades later and saying that yo no I haven't actually <laughs> succeeded in it <laughs> Do you do you think about the future much on a five to ten year scale? Um, not ten year scale, five year scale. I do think about it once in a while, uh, and then not for my own, but uh, the five years of the time in terms of you know, the where. So yeah, my own as in like the, not my daily routine, but you know the five years later, what are the things that I want to what are the alternatives that I could think of? So uh, yeah, I do think about it quite a bit. Like maybe five years down the road, I might actually, you know, I'd be, uh, work on something completely different. So for instance, I might actually not be a professor anymore. Then you know, what do I do? Would I actually uh, work as a, some kind of director of the research center somewhere? You know, that's a possible alternative. And then you know, I try to simulate, you know, what that's going to be like. Because you know, the, I feel like uh, my default mode of the operation is pretty stable and it won't change that much over the next five years of time frame. So I try to think a lot about the alternative path that I could take and then how that those paths would lead, uh, what kind of, let's say, situation in five years that I'm going to end up had I followed some of those paths. Mm -hmm. And uh, on a closer time horizon uh, uh, what do you when do you think the world will open back up post covid yeah oh yeah the, my guess oh, okay so my hope i guess the hope closer to hope than guess is that the uh sometime only next year i guess yeah that's okay. that's my suspicion which i think is fine and then my guess is that it's going to be more or less like the we'll have to live together with it you know just like 
just like flu, except that it's going to be a bit more serious. But you know, my hope comes uh, stems from the fact that the a lot of let's say you know the technologists that have been used to create these vaccines and so on were the results of the science from 70s, 80s, and you know early 90s. What that means is that we still have a a lot of let's say our kind of let's say weapons against COVID-19 and other pandemic or the infectious disease that all these amazing scientists, biologists, chemists, and so on have have been and continue to work on. And then I think we'll, I, I'm very hopeful when I think about you know, the, how we're going to you know, overcome this ongoing pandemic thanks to the science and how we're going to tackle the upcoming future pandemics as well as the other crisis that we're going to run into when I think about the science that is being done. Well, of course, you know, the, when I think about the, how the political systems or the social systems have coped with you know, the, all these ongoing pandemic as well as other crises, my hope kind of disappears quite rapidly but I think the science, science has been doing well and I have a pretty good trust in it. So next year, next year. Next year. <laughs> Do you think there's a point to life and our existence? Uh, no, nothing too particular about individual life. I think uh, if I had to you know, I did think of something in order to let's say tell my niece who just entered her primary school or so on, if I had to tell her something, then I'll say that the, the point would be to just figuring out the things that we don't know just because it's so the curiosity might be the only thing that I can imagine as the point of life. but. I don't think there is anything that is so special about individual lives as a, uh, compared to other other things. You know. hmm. More profound questions. Uh, <laughs> pi pineapples and pineapple and pizza, yummy or an abomination? Very yummy, very <laughs> yummy. Yes, yes. I mean, at the uh, so I so what I think is that you know at the I, I'm very very you know, the counter conservative in a lot of things. And then I feel like the, our job as, you know, the human beings is to be cur curious about everything and then try them out and then be open to, you know, new ideas and so on. And I've, you know, I've, I've had a lot, my share of pizza over my lifetime. I think, you know, like the old old say pizza hut, domino pizza type of the pizza all the way to, you know, the Chicago deep dish to, you know, the Italian pizzas and so on. I've had my share and then, Pineapples go really, really well with good pizzas, yes. And then I'm very open to this. And then this is one of the things that I can really, like say, have a huge debate and won't back off. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. What are some traits that you found common across some of the best collaborators or colleagues that you've worked with? Um, yeah, I'm at the... I noticed that the, so the confidence, confidence. So people that I admire, I respect, I work together with, they are very confident about their, what they know. And then you know, the reason why I think confidence is really important and I like is that they, they are also very confident about what they, what, uh, about what they know that others know better than what they know. Mm -hmm. So that they, that makes them much easier to talk about and then, you know, come to the same page on any kind of topic that we talk about. So they tend to listen better to the experts 
and then they also talk to other experts better about the topic that they are more knowledgeable about. And then people who, who are less confident or they're not confident, they tend to actually pretend to know too much and they, they don't listen. So I think it's actually the confidence in knowledge or something like that, yeah. Mm. Calibration, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. And do you find that you can spot this trait early? Um, um for yeah i think so i think so uh, at, at least you know the I, I can i feel like i can actually spot that whenever those people start talking about machine learning i think yeah i noticed mm, okay that sounds a bit wrong <laughs> and then you know, the, i know that they are saying something wrong but they are also not asking other people about it so that's when i noticed that they, mm, they have some insecurity about you know, what they know and then they try to pretend or you know to put some kind of uh, authority they get from another item, uh, another stuff to for this kind of whatever the things that they are talking about that they don't know. So hmm. yeah, is for certain certain topics. Yeah, I, I think I can I can guess pretty easily. Yes. Hmm. What is some of the best advice you've gotten or given? Um. So it was uh, twenty fourteen. I think the summer or. Well, I was in Montreal uh, as a postdoc with the Ashwa Bengio. And then back then, you know, the, really like the, if I remember correctly, most of the people who were at the lab back then with me or you know, the, all the people who are working on uh, toward PhD in this particular neural network, deep neural network, really, I think that none of them actually ended up being a professor. They all went to work at Google, Microsoft, and then you know, it was like the beginning of the boom. So everyone was happy that they were getting tons of money working at those places. But then you know, the, I had I, I wanted to you know, to see if you know it's possible to become a faculty and then you know, to be a professor. I never thought about it before that time, like the before fall 2014. I started to think about it after talking with some people. And then you know, the one day I knocked on the door of Yasha's, and then you know, the, I asked Yasha, so Yasha, what do you think about you know, the, uh, being a professor? I'm thinking about you know, the, what I should do after finishing my postdoc years here. And then uh, he just really told me just one thing is that the, it's the best job in the world. And uh, now that I think, and then you know, the, I was like, okay, that sounds good, so I'll do that. And then the same thing was repeated by Yan LeCun uh, a few months later or a year later. And these were really, I think the great advice because back then everyone was trying to give me a detailed write down of the pros and cons about you know, going to the academia, going to the industry and so on. And then you know, looking at those pros and cons list doesn't really help you make a decision because it's a difficult decision. But that you know, is the best job in the world. That actually was the advice based on which I decided to apply for the faculty position. I didn't even apply to any of the industry position back then. And then so far, I really like it. Yeah. That's great. And uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad you chose this route. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Thank you. I've, I've had the opportunity to interact with you at various points of times and, you know, people and especially your students speak highly of you. Uh -huh. So that's, that's great. Happy to hear Thanks. So um, why did you agree to do this uh, interview with me? So I actually, I think I listened to every single one of the interview done by Debbie earlier with the same topic. And I thought it was really refreshing in a sense that, you know, we get to hear about 
you know, like what kind of research they do a lot and a lot, perhaps a bit overly so due to the, this pandemic and remote talks. And then when I was listening to what Debbie was, what kind of questions Debbie was asking and then what kind of answers she was able to bring out out of all these people, I thought it was really refreshing. And then I kind of got to know a lot about the people that I thought I knew them before, but you know, apparently I knew only a kind of academic or the work side of them. So I thought it was really refreshing. And then I thought, you know, joining this and then trying to show the other side of me as well, thanks to you, uh, will make me perhaps a bit more accessible to the students or the other potential collaborators to just reach out and then talk with me because they now know, know more about me than before, right? Other than the papers that I wrote. So that was the reason. And also, of course, uh, the, in fact, more important reason is that because it was you who emailed me, it was true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, those were all the questions I have, Jengen. Is there anything uh, that we didn't cover that is a particularly important aspect of your life that you think we should get to? No, I mean, I did, oh, those were so amazing questions. I mean, I, did, I, I should have actually asked you back a bit because yeah, I want to hear about you. But hopefully uh, at the end of this, this thing, you know, Debbie and you, you know, you two will actually interview each other with the same set of questions so that the, the, all the listeners as well as me and other you know, the interviewees will be able to know about you too as well, even further. Yeah, yeah that'll yeah. be my I, request. <laughs> I, I've already done Davy's interview. Uh, and oh, okay, you have. <laughs> there's a, there's a second cohort and like a second set of interviews that we'll put out and yeah, Davy's okay. is one of them. <laughs> nice, looking forward to that. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, uh, so, I mean, when will this go public or online? Uh, do you have a timeline? I, I think it might take me another uh, month or so. Um, I'm, okay. uh, this is a similar sized cohort about yeah. uh, somewhere in the 16 to 18 people range. I I'm, wow. uh, I'm about four or five, four. This is the fourth one that I'm, I'm done with. I see. Um, uh -huh. So I, yeah, I'm still scheduling oh, some so of the So looking others. forward to listening to, you know, all those you know, the interviews. It was really fun listening to the interviews by Debbie. So looking very forward to it. And thanks for, you know, doing this. It's really informative as well as fun. Yeah. No. Thank you, Kyungyun. Uh, thank you no, for doing thank this. You. This is yeah. thank this you is very so much. wonderful. Okay. Yeah, let's catch up hopefully in person soon. I hope so. 2021 Jan is your prediction. We'll hopefully Precisely. <laughs> yes, we'll do that. I mean I wouldn't mind uh, meeting in person earlier, but yeah, I think that's my expectation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. See you later then. Have a nice Bye, day. Kyungyun.